0: My name is Chad, I'm one of the pastors here. And if I seem to be limping around or, or a little more tired than normal, it's because I was in the Bethel Men's Golf Invitational yesterday and you don't have to be an athlete to play golf, but it's still a sport and it helps if you're in shape. So it was a lot of fun, God was kind. Uh, we had wonderful weather and a ton of laughs. Well, over Memorial Day weekend, my family and I, we camped at Tyler State Park like we often do. I say camped but really we rented a screened-in cabin which the park services call a shelter. Now these shelters are really the way to go if you kinda wanna halfway rough it and especially if you have little kids. You see these, uh, these shelters, they're hooked up to electricity so you get, a, you get an overhead light you get a couple outlets, one on the inside, one on the outside. Uh, we used one of our outlets to, uh, to power a fan that we brought. Nice little oscillating fan at night. But really, shelters don't just provide comfort for us, do they? They also provide protection, security. And in our case, it provided protection from, from the hot sun. If one of our kids was getting sunburned, we could just go in this shelter and seek some relief. Or it provided protection from pesky critters at night, such as mosquitoes, which is really just an annoyance. But it also provides protection from critters that are actually dangerous, like the copperhead that managed to slither its way up to the outskirts of our camp. So whether we were exposed to heat that burned us or mosquitoes that annoyed us, or the copperhead that actually is dangerous. We had shelter, we had refuge that provided us the security, the protection we needed. Now, as broken people living in a broken world, we all need protection, we all need security, whether we're camping in the woods or living in a gated community in Tyler. Each of us has and will come face to face with some form of peril, threat, or danger simply because of the fallen nature of this world. This is our present reality, and we see this reality time and time again. It doesn't matter if the threat is halfway around the world, it has the ability to impact us here. We, we see that with covid or inflation, things that are outside our control. And even in our own day to day experiences, things we think we control, we realize that we don't have complete control over our circumstances, and that things that happen outside of our control can greatly negatively impact us. So, where do we take shelter from our perils? What refuge? do we have from a broken world filled with unpredictable hardships that leave us feeling exposed or in danger? Well, this morning as we continue our series in Psalms, we're going to be in Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is this beautiful confession of confidence in God as our safe and secure refuge You see, God is the believer's shelter as we navigate this broken, fallen world. There's really nothing else. There's no one else. So as we look at this psalm, what we're going to do is we're going to take it in three parts. We're going to look at what it means to take shelter in God. What does that mean? Next, we're going to look at the benefits of taking shelter in Him. What can we expect as we shelter in God? And then finally, how we can take shelter in him. So, what it is, what its benefits are, and how we can do this. Start with me in verses one through four, as we first look at what it means to take shelter in God. A miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So as we see right from the beginning with this inscription, uh, this is a psalm written by David. But unlike other inscriptions for David's psalms, we have no context as to what specific danger or threat he was facing. He keeps it general. And by David keeping it general, it's reasonable to understand that the purpose of this psalm is to guide the believer to take shelter in God as we navigate a broken, fallen world. So that's, that's comforting. That's meant to comfort us, that God cares for our well-being. as demonstrated by the fact that he's given us this psalm to guide us to him as our shelter. So beginning at verse 1, we see David make a request. If you look at verse 1, he says, preserve me. This is actually a petition for God to protect him from danger from a real threat, and even death. So for David then to take refuge in God, which is in verse 1 here, this is for David to place himself under God's protection, under the roof of God's protection. You see, what we see is David is entrusting himself to the care of God. And in this verse, we see David even supply for us the rationale of his plea. You see, the plea is to preserve me. But the reason behind the plea is his statement, for I have taken refuge in you. What David is saying is, protect me, God, because I have sought your protection. Protect me because I have sought your protection. What we see with David is the proper heart attitude. Believers are to cultivate if he or she desires to entrust themselves to the care of God in this broken, fallen world. Those attitudes that David displays for us, that he experienced in this moment of threat by entrusting himself to the care of God, is faith in God and faithfulness Toward God faith in God and faithfulness toward God let me show you that in the text so in this psalm and in many other psalms what we see is there's often two groups of people that are contrasted with one another the faithful which David is modeling for us here in verses 1 and 2 and the unfaithful which we see in verse 4 Verse 4 again reads, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. You see this group acting unfaithfully in their worship of idols in verse 4. They have sought out someone or something else for their protection. Not Yahweh. Or perhaps they've added this on to seeking additional support they have not sought out God alone like David as their protector it's David who sought out God alone as his protector and not additional idols it's David who in seeking out God as his protector is able to cry out to Yahweh protect me because it's in you I'm seeking protection I'm not chasing after idols I'm chasing after you Look at verse 2 where we see David's attitude of faith and faithfulness really just on clear display. It's it's plain. He says, I say to the Lord, that's, that's Yahweh. He's calling God by his covenant name, the loyal God of his people. I say to Yahweh, you, Yahweh, you are my Lord. You are my master, And in the next stanza of verse 2, he says, I have no good apart from you. He's declaring his trust in God alone as his source of well-being. I have no good apart from you means you alone, God, are the source of my well-being. Sourced nowhere else, in nothing else, especially not these idols that the others are chasing after. So how do the attitudes of faith in God and faithfulness towards God come together in the life of the believer? Well, they're this rhythmic dance that positively feed off of one another. As you walk with God by faith, you learn that God is faithful. And that motivates you to continue to trust in Him and to continue to faithfully walk in his ways. They just feed off of each other. And this happens as you learn that God is trustworthy and that this world is broken and there's no other source of refuge but him alone. And you gradually begin to trust in God's ways, trust in the character of God, and walk with him in faithfulness even when his commands don't make sense to you or his ways seem foolish. When we lived in Ethiopia as missionaries, we were forced to adjust to a whole new way of life, a way of life that we didn't really understand based on its vastly different culture. So we looked to others outside of ourselves who were more knowledgeable of the ways of that culture. And we learned their practices which at first seemed silly to us, but in the end proved very wise. And as we learned that these older missionaries, hey, they actually knew what they're talking about. As we learned that they are faithful, we began to trust in them more and faithfully apply their teaching to our lives. And this path proved wise, it proved very beneficial for us. Let me give you one example. In Ethiopia, if you're ever hosted for a meal, you do not fill up your plate with the first go-around, the first helping. Why? Because in Ethiopia, you're not there just to eat food. You're going to be there a very long time, talking with them, listening to them. And one of the subtle aspects of that culture is the way you compliment your host or hostess is you get seconds or even thirds. And if you fill up your plate right off the bat, then you're gonna either A, be too stuffed to go back and get seconds or thirds and insult them, or you are gonna go back and get seconds of thirds and just just wanna take a nap right there. And so we learned the hard way that the ways of this culture are different. But thankfully, people much wiser, than ourselves came into our lives and showed us this new practice of just getting a little bit the first go around and taking your time to eat. Don't worry, the host or hostess will tell you to go back and get seconds or thirds and you will get your fill. What at first seems strange proved to be very fruitful for us. So as broken people living in a broken world, the ways of God can seem strange. It can see, seem strange that God wants us to live In a certain manner. But in the end his ways prove highly beneficial. He's so patient with us to teach us isn't he? I was at the golf course yesterday. uh, Talking with a member. And we were just talking about how we've grown to trust God. And it's usually through our own mistakes. By not trusting God. And then in his kindness he draws us back to himself. Shows us that no, no, no. I'm with you. You're my child. Just walk with me in this and you'll experience the benefits of my ways. And so what does it mean to take refuge in God? It basically means you're entrusting yourself into his care. You're trusting in him and you're walking faithfully with him. And you're not seeking after idols, something or someone else that you're trusting will pull you through or provide the protection or security you need just to endure the brokenness of this world. So this moves us to our second point, the benefits of taking refuge in God. Read with me verses 5 all the way through 11. The Lord, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot And my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So before David lists out these benefits, which we'll talk about, Notice that in verse 4, interestingly enough, he states consequences for those who seek shelter from idols, who chase after idols for their protection or to meet their needs. Read with me just the first stanza of verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. That's the benefits, so to speak, of idolatry. Sorrows upon sorrows, something no one wants, but you can't expect from idols. So what does that look like for us today to to make an idol our God? Well, Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, the empty promises of money, sex, and power, and the only hope that matters, he defines an idol this way. What is an idol? Tim Keller says, it is anything more important to you Than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts if I have that, then my life has meaning, then I'll know that I have value, and I will feel secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship, Keller goes on to say, but perhaps the best one is worship. You're giving yourself over to something that can only give you sorrows upon sorrows. So what are some idols we might find ourselves worshiping today? What are some things that we ascribe utmost importance and to which we entrust ourselves in order to feel secure. Well, a quick Google search of modern idols will reveal a list of common things we put on the throne of our hearts rather than God. And there was one that caught my attention, identity. Identity, who we are, how we define ourselves. You see, at different times in my life, I have found myself worshiping at the feet of the idol of identity. Rather than accepting what God says about me, I am a beloved child of God. I have tried to create for myself an identity apart from that in order to give me significance and security. During my final semester of seminary, my level of anxiety just began to increase. And it was disturbing because I was coming to the end of my time at seminary where I would be launched out of that safe place of academia to a place of ministry where people would look to me. And here I was unraveling. So what was going on? Well, with the aid of good Christian, a good Christian counselor and friends, they were able to pull out of me this reality that I was not trusting in God as my refuge. That I was instead trusting in myself, making myself an idol. And that led to greater and greater sorrows. It actually led to greater and greater insecurity. You see, I had mistakenly thought that if I was somehow smart enough, knowledgeable enough, hardworking enough, that I would be able to pull this off that I would be able to minister well. But man was not created by God to do anything apart from him in his own strength or her own strength. It doesn't matter how great your wit, your work ethic, or your wisdom is apart from God. It's leaning upon yourself, making yourself an idol. We're not meant to do that. So what verse 4 is telling us and what my own experiences of worshiping an idol, have taught me is that when you make an idol out of anything, it will extract from you a multiplication effect of sorrows. But when we seek to treat God as God, to find in Him our safety and our security, we can experience some amazing benefits. Now, I'm not saying the perfect Christian life. I'm not saying constant joy I'm just saying that there are benefits as you seek in God security and refuge. So let's look at those benefits. We've already read verses five through 11. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to clump these benefits into three categories contentment, confidence, and joy. Contentment in this life, confidence in God's leading, and joy rooted in the future resurrection. So look with me again at verses 5 through 6, where we see the benefit of contentment in this life. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. In these verses, our psalmist is using certain land allotment terms that would strike a chord with the ancient Near Eastern uh, follower of the Lord. We see those terms with my chosen portion, my lot, boundary lines, and inheritance. Look with me at verse verse 6 as we talk about God being the source of blessing. That's what I mean by contentment in this life. You're able to identify that God is the source of all blessing But also he himself, the relationship you have with him for all eternity, that is the ultimate blessing. And that leads to contentment. In verse 6, we see him being the source of blessing. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What does that mean? Well, what this tells us is the unfolding of our lives. The unfolding of our lives is all within the bounds of God's providence. His superintending of our lives. God is continually guiding our lives to achieve his intended purposes. God is continually guiding our lives to achieve his intended purposes. Which in the end can most certainly be described as pleasant and beautiful. Now I know, and you know, that the events we encounter presently as God guides us are oftentimes anything but pleasant or beautiful. In fact, they're the complete opposite. But His intended purposes, where He will lead you to in the end, are 100% pleasant and beautiful. And one day we will experience those purposes as a reality by sight. But until that day, the day the Lord returns and fully and finally establishes his kingdom of righteousness that covers the face of the earth. The purpose of this verse is to lead believers to entrust yourself into this God's care who's providentially guiding your life. To these intended purposes and to thank Him for His providential care, to know that nothing is outside of His hand. These lines, believers, they have indeed fallen in pleasant places. In verse 5, we see that the Lord, our relationship with the Lord, that is the ultimate blessing and just grabbing a hold of that fact that you have an eternal relationship with the God with God is to lead you to contentment and that's the point really the fact that God is our inheritance is to make us pause and realize there's nothing else that could possibly take his place or provide greater benefit to me than simply having God So let's look at the second benefit of seeking refuge in him. It's our growing confidence in his guidance. Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. To bless God is simply to praise him. The Psalms are filled with this, to praise God. And David is praising God for his counsel. Now, counsel in our psalm is God giving David insight into his written word. It's not special instruction apart from his word, but special instruction according to his word. Your Bible might have a footnote, in fact, in that verse that reads on the footnote is, My heart instructs me. The footnote says, My kidneys instruct me. My kidneys, that's strange. Kidneys in the Hebrew stands for the seat of moral guidance. So God's guidance is moral in this instance. So the idea here is as we entrust ourselves to God's care, we go to God's word for guidance. As we entrust ourselves to God's care, we go to God's word for guidance. And he enables us to grow in our understanding for how to live rightly and wisely in this broken world. God gives us counsel according to his word. It's sufficient. His word for our lives is sufficient. And as we heed his counsel, we experience the benefits of living confidently according to his counsel. He's trustworthy, he's faithful. He knows this broken world far better than we do. His word is intended to guide us to walk with him and grow in our trust, to grow in our confidence in his guidance. You see, David's confidence in God and in his guidance, it certainly grew. And he tells us that in verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. You see, David is... Showing us the fruit of a growing confidence in heeding God's word. As David heeded God's counsel, obeying his word, his confidence in God's presence with him grew. God is with us. And he trusted in God that nothing would happen outside of God's providence, nothing would touch him outside of God's providence. So let's look at the third and final benefit of seeking refuge in God. It's our present joy in our future resurrection. I'm going to read verses 9 and 11 again. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. For David, he is most likely writing this psalm after experiencing God literally save him from physical death. The word sheol and corruption in verse 10 there refers to physical death. For the believer today, however, these Verses take on a different and a more full meaning. You see, both the apostle Peter in Acts 2 and the apostle Paul in Acts 13, they quoted portions of these verses to prove that God had long ago foretold of the Christ's resurrection and that Jesus of Nazareth, a descendant of David, he is that Christ and he had been resurrected, thereby conquering death. Our Messiah conquered death by his resurrection. And therefore conquered death for all believers. Anyone who is trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins is united in Christ's death and in his resurrection. And will experience a future bodily resurrection. So for the believer today, when we take refuge in God, that doesn't equate to God rescuing us or our loved ones from danger or from death. But it does equate to God saving us from death. We no longer need to fear death. Now, I want to make something very clear. All believers, all believers, whether you are... Seeking shelter in God or bowing at the foot of an idol. All believers will be resurrected. It's a blessing of the new covenant. It's backed by God's guarantee. But what we see here is that for the believer who is seeking shelter in God and not chasing after idols, this reality of the future resurrection the joy that the string of death has been cut for you, it leads you to joy in the present. It allows you to grab hold of something, even in the midst of your trials, your suffering, to grab hold of something that supersedes the reality of this broken world, that you will be resurrected, that this is not the end. So rather than bending the knee to the idol, we are to look at verse 11 and realize that as I shelter in God, I can read verse 11 and it can be a reality for me today. It can be something that I can read and say with confidence, with trust, because I have experienced God's faithfulness in my life. I am waiting for that bodily resurrection. So we can read verse 11 and we can say, Lord, you are leading me to know and experience the path of eternal life. I know that. I've experienced that. And in your presence, God, as I draw near to you and you draw near to me, I do experience absolute joy and sheer delight. And I know, Lord, that one day, one day, when I am in your very presence, I will experience Unspeakable pleasure forever and ever, and there will be no end in sight. So, how does this work? How do we take shelter in God? How is it that when we take refuge in Him, when we walk with Him in faithfulness and trusting ourselves in His care, that we can experience these benefits? Well, quite frankly, this is how God interacts with His children. What I mean is, as you press in with God, as you press in, relationally speaking, by spending time with him, just like in any other relationship, reading his word, praying to him, worshiping him, fellowshipping with his children, you experience the benefits of his presence. He rubs off on you, so to speak. As I mentioned earlier, I was at Tyler State Park last week. By the end of the weekend, my feet were this reddish-orange color. It was strange. I'd been wearing sandals all week, stomping around that sand and that dirt, stomping around on the lake bottom there, wading in the shallows with my kids. And I'm assuming that that lake bottom was this reddish-orange clay. As I pressed into that clay over time, the minerals, the reddish-orange minerals of that clay stained my feet. They took on the character of that clay. As we, as believers in Jesus, press into God, as we press our souls into his presence, he gradually changes us by his spirit from the inside out. And we delight more and more at knowing him. And we delight more and more in his providential care his guidance, and in this future blessing that is a sure thing of the bodily resurrection. So how we do this, well, I'm going to share with you just something that I've experienced in my own life, how I've done this. If I, as I've caught myself worshiping at the foot of an idol, I just say a very simple prayer that I want to offer to you this morning. It's a prayer that helps facilitate trusting in God for his care. God, I believe. I believe that you are worthy of me seeking your shelter, that you're trustworthy. But help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Show me where I'm trusting in idols so that I can turn from them and run after you seeking your shelter. This is a prayer that I've often prayed. As I've sensed God's spirit showing me that I'm trusting in an idol as my shelter. And God in his kindness showing me the sorrows I'm experiencing from that. But for whatever reason, as fallen sinful people, it's difficult for us to turn from those idols and to seek shelter in God. I believe God. Help my unbelief. Protect me, guide me, sustain me with your presence as I desire to take shelter in you. God knows we are but flesh. He knows this about us. As we cry out to him, acknowledging our doubts, asking him to bring to the surface the idols that we as believers are trusting in, God will come running to you. He will. He'll come running to you, ready to embrace you and teach you how to trust in his trustworthiness, how to seek shelter in him, how to experience his goodness. As our refuge if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus then you are not able yet to seek shelter in God you need to first be reconciled to God and Christ is the mediator of that reconciliation by dying in our place for our sins bearing the penalty for our guilt through his death on the cross And when you trust in him, God forgives you, forgives all your sins forever and ever, and makes you his child, declares you righteous, gives you his spirit, and gives you these desires to turn from idols. And that's where we find ourselves today as believers living in this broken world, filled with idols. Our hearts just manufacture them. Even if there weren't idols available to us to choose from, our hearts would still create one. But God, through David, is wooing us to himself to seek refuge in him, to experience his goodness. Let's do that together. Would you pray with me? Father, we cry out to you. We pray that you would indeed care for us, that we would indeed have eyes to see your care for us, and that we would desire to draw nearer and nearer to you, trusting that your presence would sustain us and lead us and guide us, meet all of our needs. Help us, God, as people of but flesh. Thank you for your patience and your kindness towards us. Pray for Bethel as we seek to be a church that take shelter in you. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, because apart from him we are hopeless, but with him we have hope that is a sure thing. We pray that we would draw nearer to him, that the promises in him would be what we focus on and hold on to. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Christ's name we pray, amen.